0: This morning, as we look at this passage from the Word of God, we see that God further secures David in his kingship and expands the kingdom. Twice, we have the summary statement of David's military successes that came through the Lord's help. If you look at verse 6, the end of that verse, it simply says, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Then we have the same summary in verse 14. The end of the verse. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So we have these victories that God had granted to David. These military successes were more than just simply winning battles. These are more than just skirmishes that David was able to overcome. But rather, these battles brought about a true security to the kingdom. David was able to overcome all the enemies of the nation. If you notice in verse 6, it reads, Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus. Again in verse 14, Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. So we have these repeated statements of these garrisons that are being established. Garrisons were uh, military stations, strongholds, Fortresses, if you will. The point is that David is not only winning these battles, but he's militarily occupying lands so there could be no future uprisings. So that there was any rebellion, he could quickly snuff it out. So we have these security issues that are being dealt with, and David is being established, and the nation is being established as secure. At the same time, David is also growing in prestige, honor, and acceptance as king. If you look at verse 13, it reads, and David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Saul. David made a name for himself. David became even more prominent If you think of all the victories that he had and David's fame, David's notoriety, the confidence in David just continues to grow. It's one thing for a political leader to gain approval while they are seeking office. We often see that, how people are appreciative of a politician when they're running for office. But once they're in office... So often it is that their political rankings start going down and people's approval rating of their particular uh, authority decreases. Not so with David. David's stock is continuing to rise. His appreciation is growing and growing in the nation. He's making a name for himself. David is meeting with great success. Meeting with great success. It's because of the Lord's help that David is riding high. Now the question for this morning is, how does David handle that success? How is he going to respond to all this goodness that he is experiencing? What is he going to do, if you will, with the success, with the power, with the Approval that he has of the people. How is he going to respond? And this morning we are going to be looking at four responses on the part of David. The first response is that David, in his success, first and foremost, remembers and honors the Lord. David, in his success, first and foremost, honors. And remembers the Lord. David amasses a great deal of wealth through his military campaigns. Uh, That is the emphasis of uh, these campaigns. If you notice, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, it says, After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methagamah out of the hand of the Philistines. He defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death and one full line to be spared. And Moabites became servants to David, now these words, and brought tribute, and brought tribute. Tribute are taxes. Tributes are ongoing material wealth and substance that people bring to David as king, as ruler. These nations now have an obligation to David to pay taxes to him. Look at verses four and following. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers, and David handstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help, Hadrazar, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and, note these words, the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. So the wealth of the nation just continues to increase. The emphasis is that he's gaining security, he's able to put fortresses in these lands so that they can no longer further uh, bring about insurrection or danger to the kingdom, and he's getting wealthier and wealthier because all these people are having to pay taxes. Verse 7. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadrazar and brought them to Jerusalem. And from, Bata- from Othai, kings of Hadrazar, King David took much bronze. So now he's got gold, he's got bronze. The point is he's getting wealthier and wealthier from all of these nations that he is subduing. But not only did David amass wealth through these military campaigns and the occupying of these various regions and nations, David also amassed wealth through his alliances. Look at verses 9 and following. When Toi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadarazar, Toi sent his son Joram to King David, to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadarazar and defeated him, for Hadarazar had often been at war with Toy and Joram. Now these words brought with him articles of silver, of gold, of bronze. Again, an allusion to the wealth, the prosperity, the monies that are coming in to the kingdom, both meritarily and through political alliances. David is getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier.
1: What's David going to do with that?
0: How is David going to handle that wealth? How how is David going to handle that prosperity? What is all this influx of monies, gold, bronze, shields, you name it, how's that going to impact the kingdom? How's that going to impact David? How's he going to be responding to this nation becoming so much wealthier than what it had been previously? Well, we find that David uses a portion of all these proceeds, that's key, all these proceeds to honor the Lord who had blessed David. Notice verse 11. These also, King King David, dedicated to the Lord together with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations he subdued. So there you have it. All the nations he subdued, and these monies that came through the alliances, all of it, he dedicated to the Lord, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadar, the son of Reub, king of Ziba. So we have a reiteration, just so we don't miss it, of all the accounts, of all the monies that came. And there's a statement that from every one of those sources,
1: David had consecrated it
0: to the Lord. And then once again, we are reminded that it was the Lord who gave David success. Verse 14, and he put garrisons in Edom throughout all the land of Edom. He put garrisons and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So the ultimate takeaway is God had given victory to David. And in those victories came security and wealth. And David honored the Lord with all that wealth that came into the nation. He consecrated it from every source the text says. So my first application this morning is do we recognize God's blessing and enablement in the successes that we enjoy? Do we understand that it's the Lord who gives us victory, it's the Lord who gives us success, it's the Lord who enables us to achieve whatever it is that we achieve. Every good and every perfect gift cometh from above. The people were praising David. But David knew that ultimately the victory came from the Lord, and it had a practical application. It isn't just that he gave lip service to that. He didn't just say, oh, the Lord has helped me, and I am so grateful. But the application was that he consecrated, therefore, a portion of these spoils, these articles, these monies, this wealth, to the Lord, to the Lord. So it's important that we acknowledge that our success, our blessings, uh, our prosperity comes from the Lord. But secondly, not only that we give lip service to that, but but we acknowledge it by consecrating those things unto the Lord. That has direct application for us with tithes and offerings. Uh, do we understand that the monies that we have come to us is a blessing of God, and as such, there is a responsibility that we have to honor the Lord with our tithes and our offerings from whatever source those monies come even as David did. That's pretty remarkable that David responds in this way. I say that because what we find so often in the scriptures is that the more successful that the kings become, the more distant they become from God. I guess they have a sense that they don't need God, that they've gone beyond God, that they're self-sufficient. But whatever the case is, that so often it is, example Solomon, that their, their wealth doesn't bring them closer to God, it brings them farther away from God. And so I would just say to you, we need to guard our own hearts that our wealth does not, in fact, lead us closer to God, but, but actually may lead us farther away from God. I would submit to you that, in some ways, the more we have, the more difficult it becomes to give tithes and offering. You might think it would be easier.
1: You know, the, the more we have,
0: the more our needs should be met, and the more we should have just to to freely give. But oddly enough, there is a temptation that the more we have, the more we want. And the more we have, the more we're concerned about losing it. And the more we have, we have a tendency to hold on to. But David consecrated it all to the Lord. Secondly, David in his success Remembers his duty as king. David, in his success, remembers his duty as king. Now we have just one line, but it's a powerful and important line, verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to his people. Just one line, just one line. But this one line serves as a summary statement for David's reign. It's viewing David's kingship as a whole. How does God look upon David's kingship? How can it be summarized in a sentence? What was it about? What did David achieve as king? The answer comes in verse 15. David administered justice and equity to his people. It's a look at David's kingship as a whole. David did well in the exercise of his duties as king. For it tells us in verse 15 that David administered justice and equity to his people. If you were here last week, and, or two weeks ago, I forget, and also on a Sunday night, I looked at David's prayers for Solomon and ensuing kings and pointed out that David's prayers centered upon the fact that these kings would be exercising equity and justice. That they would be serving with a proper heart, motive, and design. David was not just concerned about that for ensuing generations. He was concerned about them in his own life. That was the primary role and duty of a king. That was the primary function. That's what God intended a king to do, administer justice and equity. So David did well in the sight of God. That's not what was in the heart of the people. That's not what they admired. That's not what they were looking up to. That's not, in their estimation, what made David a great king. If you remember all the way back in 1 Samuel, when the people first wanted a king, remember they rejected Samuel as judge, and and they wanted a king. And if you remember those messages, the people wanted a king like those round about them. They were looking for an earthly king that they could look to, not a heavenly king that was invisible to them. They wanted an earthly king that would be like all the kings round about them. And then it says specifically that he would go out before them. This would be a king that would lead them into battle. This is a king that would bring them military success. This is a king that would bring security to the, to the nation. That's what they cared about. Success was wealth. It was security. It was being like the nations around about them, but superior to them. Admiring what the nations had, but wanted it on steroids. And if you remember, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else, this earthly, powerful king. So David met all the criteria that the people wanted. That's why he grew in favor with them. That's why his estimation rose. He was bringing them wealth. He was bringing in the security. He was bringing in the military power. Man, do we got a king and the people were excited
1: but God but God
0: wasn't excited about all the military successes and all the wealth and all the other things for God the most important thing was David was
1: exercising justice and equity and David did not lose sight what was most important to God by what was most important to others. Man, is there a lesson there?
0: The things that people congratulate us for, people that pat us on the back for our accomplishments. We grow in favor with individuals. We grow in prestige. We grow in honor. We grow in respect. All too often when we are accomplishing what the world wants only on steroids. People say, wow, they're doing a great job. They're doing a great job. What we need to be concerned about is not growing in favor with people, it's growing in favor with God. Equity and justice.
1: Doing our Christian duty. Doing what God has called us to do. Being responsible with what he has entrusted to our care to make decisions that are in keeping with God's word and God's will. That's no small matter to be sure. David is acting like the king he should be.
0: Thirdly, David in his success remembers his faithful followers, verses 16 through 18. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Iolud, was recorder, and Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Sariah was secretary, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests.
1: (coughs) Here we find that
0: David rewards individuals for their faithfulness. But we should not understand these verses as mere cronyism. This is more than just people that have been with David for a long time. This is more than just David watching out for his friends. This is in keeping with David's administering equity and justice in the line before. He couldn't do it alone. Couldn't do it alone. He had to have people with him that were administering this justice and this equity that were overseeing certain aspects of the kingdom. And so David established people to exercise this equity and justice that is just referred to. So he's concerned about qualifications. He's concerned about abilities, enablement, and heart. It's important to remember that David could not do what he did alone. David's excess in this passage is attributable to the Lord, to David himself, and to others. It's good for us to keep in mind how so many others are involved in our own success and in our success, in our places of influence where we have the opportunities to affect
1: an organization, an institution,
0: a business, places where God has elevated us so that now we have the opportunity to promote others. The question is, who do we promote?
1: Who do we advance? Who do we bring forward? And
0: the answer could easily be those that like us, those that are going to advance our own cause as opposed to Christ's cause. There are so many different reasons why we might choose to elevate certain individuals opposed to others. But David in this desire for equity and justice is looking for the right people.
1: And here's his team. Here's his team.
0: And uh, we are just introduced it here as we look through the different chapters going forward. We'll see how this team does. We'll see how this team reacts. We'll see how this team interacts with David and ultimately with this will of God to Exercise equity and justice,
1: but I tell you, I tell you, it's important who you put
0: around you. Now We, we understand it, I think, as a, a president with his cabinet, with those that are going to help to administer, help oversee the nation. It's true in every nation, whether it has a parliament, whatever the case may be, here it's Israel. And here are its leaders. Here is David's cabinet. Here's the people that are going to help him administer equity and justice. And now the fourth area. And it's a little bit of a different area. And I'm going now into chapter 9. I'm going to do the whole of chapter 9. Because I think it reflect, it's an integral part of what we're talking about, which is this fourth area. David, in his success, remembers his promises he made to others. By far the longest section, and in some respects, the most remarkable section. Now we're going to find out that David did not forget his promises to Jonathan. If you remember, David had made a promise to his friend Jonathan, the son of Saul, while David was in great hardship, before David ever became king. While Saul is pursuing David, Jonathan and David enter into a covenant together. And they both make promises to each other. And David made promises to Jonathan, and they're recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and it reads as follows. But show me unfailing kind, these are Jonathan's words, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan says, once God has cut off all your enemies, chapter 8, once you are firmly entrenched in power, don't take my life, now Jonathan's dead by now, and don't take the life of my offspring. Because it was the natural behavior of kings to do away with all the people that could make a claim upon the throne. So the former kingly family would be wiped out. That was just normal policy. Wipe out all the opposition. So Jonathan says, please, please, don't wipe out my family. Now by this time, just about all of Saul's family's dead, if you remember, not by David's hand. And we see that time and time again in, in weeks past, how David was not stretching out his hand against his enemies, but God was bringing an end, and just about everybody's wiped out.
1: But David hasn't forgotten.
0: David has forgotten. We look at 2 Samuel chapter 9 now, starting at verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may allow? Show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He's remembering this promise. He's remembering what he said to Jonathan. Notice verse 7. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. He's remembering this covenant. He's remembering what he said he would do. So David seeks someone from Saul's family to show kindness to, verse 1. And David said, is there anyone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anybody left? There has been such a, a devastation to this point that David is unaware of any of Saul's surviving relatives. David says, find me one. Find me one. David discovers there is a person named Ephesus who is Jonathan's son, starting in verse 2. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, is there not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Zebah said to the king, He's in the house of Machor, the son of Amriel, at Lodabar. So David sends for Meshabeshath, verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machor, the son of Amiel, to Lodabar. Now Mephushath comes before David and fears for his life, verse 6. And Meshabeshath, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. David tells Mephibosheth there's no reason for him to fear. Verse 7. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show your kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Mephibosheth assumes that the only reason that David brought him to the palace was to kill him, because that's what kings did. David says, Don't, don't be afraid. I just brought you here to show you some kindness. But says, honors David and marvels that David does not take his life, verse 8. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should regard for a dead dog such as I? That characterization is a self-deprecation, but it's also this recognition, once again, that his life's being spared. He said, I'm a dead dog. (laughs) I'm
1: nothing to you. And most kings would, would kill me. Why are you doing this? He asked. David carries through on his word.
0: Verses 9 and following. And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall fill the land from him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, "According to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so shall your servant do." So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of his king's sons. So David treats Mephibosheth as a son. And verse eleven, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table. Like one of the king's sons. He, he treated him like, like a son, not an enemy, not even a friend. He treated him like one of his own. He, he treated him like a son. And David cared for Meshibbetheth despite that there was no personal gain to David. Verses 12 and 13. And Meshibbeth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Zebu's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. For he ate always to the king's table. Now he's lame in both his feet. And twice it tells us that in his text. <clears throat> he was lame in both his feet. Why does it tell us that? Well, because, as one would think of it at the time, unfortunately, in the period of time in which he lived, Mephibosheth would be viewed as useless.
1: What could he do for David? How could this guy help the kingdom? How could he promote his kingship? Just saw the people that were installed. Where is he going to put Mephibosheth? How is he going to
0: be any help at all to David? And the answer is, he isn't. He isn't. That's not why David is showing kindness. He's not showing him kindness because of what Mephibosheth can do for David. David is showing him kindness because of what David can do for him. David is showing him
1: kindness because of the commitment he made to Jonathan. David is showing Mephibosheth kindness for no other reason than the goodness of his heart. Or maybe there is another reason. One that's easy to overlook. David is showing kindness to Mephibosheth because that's what God would do. Because that's what God intended. Because that is what God desired. And thus it becomes David's duty. This one who's
0: exercising equity and justice. He used to be a king who would represent God's kingdom. He was to act the way that God acts. You say, where in the world do you see that? Look at verse 3. And the king said, this is David. The king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul? Now these words, that
1: I may show the kindness of God to him. I may show the kindness of God to him.
0: it's not just for Jonathan's sake. It's so that he can show the kindness
1: of God to reveal it and also to implement it. This was God's kindness to David. This was God's kindness to
0: to Jonathan. Now, I I read 1 Samuel chapter 20 quickly, so you probably didn't pick it up, but listen now to the words of Jonathan to David in 1 Samuel chapter 20. When they enter into this covenant, Jonathan says to David in verse 14 of chapter 20, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, that I may not be killed. David Show me the Lord's kindness, as long as I live. David, Jonathan says, God has always dealt with me in kindness. God has always dealt with me in mercy. God has always watched over me, as long as I live.
1: David, show me that kind of kindness. Show me that kind of goodness. Be to me what God is to me. And David enters into that covenant. David agrees to do that very thing. To show him God's kindness. That's the heart of David.
0: That's that heart of exercising equity and justice. To show kindness. God's kindness. That's not how the king's reacted round about him. And it was sad, it was sad that the people did not appreciate David's greatness.
1: That's his greatness. That's what set him apart from all the other kings. He wanted to show the Lord's kindness to his people. To be a king of equity and justice. There were going to be many, many kings that would follow. They would be powerful. They would meet with military success, et cetera. But David was unique in showing this kindness to his people.
0: The application we need to understand that God places us in positions of authority and responsibility, duty, whether that be as a parent over our children whether that be as a, an administrator, whatever role of influence that we have over others, God intends for
1: us to be a conduit of his kindness and mercy to others. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 that simply says this, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you.
0: It's our duty to act like Christ. It's our duty to extend to Christ, from Christ, the forgiveness that we have received to others. It's our duty
1: to be kind to one another even those that the world would perceive as enemies. David treats like a son. And we have the responsibility of treating every child of God as a brother and sister in Jesus Christ. Extending kindness to those that we're looking for nothing in return, maybe who can't do anything for us, who can't help us in any way, solely because it's the right thing to do. It's what God has called us to do. David was a great king.
0: David handled his success well. May our success not keep us from remembering what the Lord has done for us. May our success not keep us from fulfilling our Christian duty. May our success not keep us from remembering all the faithfulness of God's people to us. May our success not keep us from honoring the Lord with our tithes and offerings. And may our success not keep us from honoring our commitment to others. And in showing the kindness of the Lord to all his people. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the life of David and for what we learn. We've seen in these weeks that David was not perfect, and certainly neither are we. But we also find that there are some incredibly wonderful qualities about David. And may we seek
1: be people though not perfect have some wonderful qualities about us. May we seek to live our lives as
0: Christ lived them. May we seek to live our lives that are honoring and glorifying to God. Even as David with all his success first and foremost honored the Lord. And then saw how that was done in practical ways in his giving of tithes and offerings. Of his exercising his kingly duties with equity and justice, by putting those in places of authority and influence that would administer that equity and justice and showing kindness, even to the one that would appear to be his enemy, treating him
1: as a son. Why? Because of your kindness and your goodness. Lord, help us in these things. For we are needy.